Why should I believe you? We have been delving into that question for some weeks, and this morning I want to jump right into that question, uh, dealing with a question that a lot of people don't talk about, and that is, due to this fact, in the United States, uh, people claim to already accept the existence of God. I've heard that statistic. You ever heard that? Most people say, yes, there is a God. Look at it a little more closely. It's actually about 56% of people in the U.S. who say that they believe in the God of the Bible. God as he is described in Scripture. That's according to a Pew Research poll done in 2018. And then there are about 30% of the people in the U.S. who believe in some, quote, higher power but not the God of Scripture. That means that around 40% of the people here in the United States don't accept the existence of God as described in the Bible. And to them, that God does not exist. Is that a problem? Yeah, that is a, a problem. That can be a hindrance to your faith. I can tell you that. In fact, Hebrews 6 or Hebrews 11, verse 6 tells us that whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. That's the first part of faith, to believe that God exists. Jack Cottrell points out that the most important biblical teaching, this guy is smart, this guy has studied scripture, and he says, what do you think the most important biblical teaching is? Here it is that the earth was created by God out of nothing. That, he says, is the most important. He lists, because of that, what you give up if you reject creation, including the existence of God himself, the existence of absolute truth, the existence of the reality of absolute right and wrong, the whole concept of sin and personal responsibility, the nature and purpose of humanity. It even accounts for the current confusion over gender identity and marriage and gender roles. The biblical teaching about creation is important enough that Ken Ham, some years ago, saw that importance and began an entire ministry known as Answers in Genesis. We've got a lot of people here who have visited the Creation Museum down in Florence, Kentucky, all focused on giving reasoned evidence for creation as it's explained in the Bible. Because if you lose that, there's a big long list of what goes away. What would the world look like if suddenly we had no way to define right and wrong, no basis for understanding humanity, no way to affirm what is real, what is good or evil. Well, that's nearly half of our own nation where they live. And so I expect that it would look quite a bit like the world in which our children are growing up right now, wouldn't it? So this question is a good one to visit and revisit believer in Jesus, why should we or anyone else believe in the existence of God? First Peter chapter 3, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Brother, sister in Christ, this morning, can you do that? 
Can you give an answer to anyone who asks you, why do you have this hope in your life? Or is your faith a hand-me-down from your parents? Or is it just some blind hope and you're kind of waiting to see at the end how it's all going to turn out? That's not a very good answer for the person who asks you this morning, why should I believe you? And for people, by the way, who aren't sure online, here in person this morning, if there's anybody like that, or for those who have never been convinced that God exists, if that's you this morning, please don't think I just got up here so we could beat up on you verbally. Thank you for stopping in. And please give an honest listen over the next 20 minutes or so as we try to give some honest reasons for believing in the existence of God. Seems to me that in many ways the burden of proof is on us, isn't it? To prove that? And for many years, several ways of approaching this question have been used. I'm not going to get up here this morning and pretend to have come up with a bunch of new ideas. I find that different people are tuned into different approaches, so it makes sense to me to consider a few of those as we try to give a reason for the hope that lies in us. This morning, I want to look at four. I want to look at two of them that are philosophical, two of them that are scientific, and then at the end, throw in a bonus one, all right? So here we go. First, there are a couple of philosophical reasons that make the existence of God, as he is described in the Bible, a reasonable conclusion for reasonable people to make. It's because no human is all-knowing. You know, an atheist is somebody who makes an assertion. They are asserting that there cannot be an all-powerful God anywhere in existence. And it's real hard to say that something is absolutely true for all of time and all of space when you're not able to say that you have been everywhere and seen everything. You haven't been everywhere. No one has. Except Johnny Cash. He's been everywhere, man. I knew that would get to someone. All right. But I haven't been everywhere, and you haven't been everywhere, and so it's not really possible to tell me that no God can be anywhere till you've seen everywhere, right? You have to be all-knowing to say such a thing. Otherwise, there's always going to be the possibility that God exists outside of your knowledge, outside of your experience. There's another line of reasoning that is a little less hostile toward the idea of God. That's agnosticism. I've met a couple agnostics over my years in my life, and they are people who say, well, there might be a God, there might not be a God, but one thing I know for sure is that you can't be sure. That's what they're saying. You can't know anything about him for sure. And once again, to be sure of that, You have to be an all-knowing person. So philosophically, just tossing that out there today, I believe in the existence of God because to say that there is no God, you've got to be an all-knowing person. Haven't met that person yet. Met several people who think they are, but haven't met that person. Here's a second one, and that is that our sense of morality indicates a source for morality. Sociology tells us there are certain things that are recognized by everybody, everywhere, in all known and studied cultures. Two of those things are smiling 
seriously, smiling, is recognized in all cultures, and the existence of moral law. Dr. J. Bud Szewski, who is a professor in Texas, said, everyone knows certain principles. There is no land where murder is virtue and gratitude vice. Ecclesiastes 3, by the way, refers to this. It talks about the way that God has put something inside of human beings, something that you won't find, by the way, in animals. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he describes it this way. He has made everything beautiful in its time also. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Every human being, regardless of culture, regardless of environment, has an internal standard of what's right and what's wrong. We didn't invent it. It's inside of us. And whether we understand it or not, all of us use it all of the time. We use it when we criticize someone else's morals. You know, when we say to somebody, you shouldn't have done that. Or she shouldn't have said that. Or you should do this. We're saying there is a right and a wrong. C.S. Lewis identified this a long time ago, wrote about it in Mere Christianity. Whenever you find a man who says he does not believe in a real right and wrong, you'll find the same man going back on this a moment later. He may break his promise to you, but if you try breaking one to him, he will be complaining. It's not fair. Seems then that we're forced to believe in a real right and wrong. People may be sometimes mistaken about them, just as people sometimes get their sums wrong, but they are not a matter of mere taste and opinion any more than the multiplication table. Good point. Think about this just for a moment. Liking chocolate more than vanilla, definitely more than white chocolate, liking chocolate more than vanilla. That's about what? That's about taste. That's about opinion. You can go ahead and have a wrong opinion about that. If somebody, though, chooses to physically or sexually or psychologically abuse a child, we don't call that personal preference. What do we call that? Wrong. Wrong. To make it current, what's happening in Ukraine is wrong. And the world is able to recognize that as a whole, able to call it wrong. It's just struggling to decide what to do about it. But it's not a question of if it's wrong. If it's wrong to murder someone in your home, it's wrong to murder someone across the street, It's wrong to murder someone on the other side of town or in some other country where they speak a different language than you. So your skeptical friend, no matter who he or she is, your skeptical friend has a standard of what's right and what's wrong. That friend will say there are certain things you should and shouldn't do. He has a sense of right and wrong that goes beyond culture beyond majority opinion it exists doesn't it so if that sense of right and wrong 
is beyond politics and culture, and it's something we can't get away from no matter how much we try, here's a question to ask. Where did that come from? Where does that come from? Could it be that there is a moral lawgiver and that he actually put those morals deep into our very beings because we're different than animals? That's what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 2. There God speaks about people who don't have his law written down on paper, but in verse 15 it says the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So our sense of morality points to the existence of somebody who gave us that, a moral law giver. All right, those are philosophical. If you're not into philosophy, wake back up now. <laughs> and for your friend who says, follow the science, I'm glad to point out that belief in the existence of God has scientific reasoning as well. And we're going to cover all of it in the next 10 minutes. No, we're just going to cover a couple of questions here. But these are important and a good way to say, here is why I have the hope that I have in me. One is this, that a beginning indicates a cause. It's usually referred to as the cosmological argument. All right, it's pretty simple. First of all, it is an observable fact of physics that things don't just pop into existence from nowhere. That's never happening. It's never been observed in all of the universe. Otherwise, if that did happen, we have a word for that. It's called magic. And even when a magician seems to make a rabbit appear from a hat, there is still a hat, and there's still a magician, and there's actually still a rabbit before that happens. Albert Einstein, who was a fairly smart guy, once said this, the scientist is possessed by a sense of universal causation. Everything that happens has a cause. If something begins to exist, it's because there is a cause. Whatever begins to exist, exists because it was caused. More recent science, by the way, has come to the conclusion that the universe had a beginning. Cosmologists, scientists who study these things, call it the Big Bang. They are saying, by saying there was a Big Bang, that the universe did not always exist. Stephen Hawking, he was also pretty smart, said almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. 1915, Einstein posted the general theory of relativity, and for the first time, scientists could speak meaningfully about the past history of the universe. Then other scientists took Einstein's theory of relativity and his equations, and they predicted that it would be discovered that the universe is expanding. 1929, a man named Edwin Hubble measured the red shift in light from distant galaxies and confirmed, yes, it's true, we can see it, the universe is expanding. And that there is some single beginning point in its past. 
Scientists also have shown that the universe is slowing down, that the universe is running out of energy. Second law of thermodynamics. Sounds like middle age. Expanding and running out of energy. Something that has always existed can't always be changing in one direction. Here's a couple prominent cosmologists concluded any universe which has, on average, been expanding throughout its history cannot be eternal in its past, but must have an absolute beginning. Think about that. So science agrees on this. Science agrees the universe had a beginning. Some Christians I know are really bothered by the Big Bang Theory. The fact is, by saying that the universe had a definite beginning, science is simply confirming what Genesis 1 said all along. God spoke and bang! It began. The universe began to exist. In the beginning, God created Big Bang. The Bible agrees that the physical universe once did not exist, and then it did. Remember, things don't pop into existence without a cause. The universe, therefore, was caused. And it couldn't cause itself, so that cause must be beyond the time-space universe. Its cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, uncaused, unimaginably powerful. Sounds like God to me. Following observable facts points us to God. That's one reason to believe that God exists, the cosmological argument. All right, here's another one. And that is that design indicates a designer. This is usually referred to as the teleological argument. The Bible isn't afraid, by the way, to have us think about it to have us consider it as a legitimate reason to believe in God. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, it invites you. Psalm 19, verse 1, David wrote, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. I wish we had time just to scratch the surface of what that's talking about. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25, To whom will you compare me, God asks or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. Get to the end of the book of Job. Job has been struggling with the meaning of life, the presence of suffering, his relationship to God. He's got all these questions for God, and he gets to chapter 38 of Job, and God's got some questions for Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? 
For verse after verse, for a few chapters, God gives Job a natural earth quiz. He flunked. In the late 1700s, William Paley is the one who's credited with the analogy of what if you were walking down a beach and you found a watch there in the sand? How would you explain the origin of that watch? Would you look at it and assume that over time the elements of the ocean and the surroundings just happen to randomly come together and form that watch? No, you would look at its complexity, you would look at its interconnectedness, you would look at its apparent purposefulness, and you would conclude that behind that there was a, a designer, a creator, who fashioned it, who put it together. Now, science is still discovering how incredibly complex the cosmos is, even just here on earth. And many of the people who are not Christians, by the way, who look at those things carefully and who look at numbers are impacted by what they observe. Well, of course. Dr. Paul Davies, one of the leading physicists and cosmologists of this age, said this, I cannot believe that our existence in this universe is a mere quirk of fate. We are truly meant to be here. Fred Hoyle, an atheist, a cosmologist, said it looks like a super intellect has monkeyed with physics. Anthony Flew, who, by the way, was a, a prominent atheist of the past century at age 81, rejected his atheism. And he said this, I now believe that the universe was brought into existence by an infinite intelligence. And by the way, look at the title of the book he wrote, There is a God, How the World's Most Notorious Atheist Changed His Mind. God exists, and he loves you. And he wants you to follow him. And you can point to Scripture, and you can use philosophy, and you can use physical science, and you can use logic and arguments to help verify that. But there is one more reason, if you're a believer in Christ, there is one more reason that you can use, that you can point to, if you are a follower of Jesus, to help your friend. And that is your personal experience. Experience validates it. I wouldn't begin with this, but it is certainly a part of the reason that you have to invite somebody to believe in the God who is there. And after you've given good reasons for the hope that you have in Christ, look your friend in the eye. This person, maybe it's the one person that you're praying for right now. The one person, remember, that you're going to try to bring to Jesus. Look that person in the eye and tell him or her why do I believe God exists? Here's why. Because he changed my life. Because he directs the way I think. Because I spend with him, I spend time with him every day. I was talking with him just this morning. He loves me and I love him. And all he has said and everything that he has done reaches into every part of my life. And I have all these other reasons to believe that God is real, but the most personal one is how he has impacted me. The other things that we've looked at this morning are important, and so is your experience as someone who believes in God. Does God really impact your life or not? How? 
then share that. Share how he has. My neighbor Jose, when we lived at a different house, hurt his foot at work, and he said he was going to be off it for a couple of weeks. Now, I was talking to him. It was summertime when that happened, and I told him, hey, I'll be glad to mow your lawn. Obviously, you can't mow your lawn if you can't walk. And it was a chance to just share God's love with that family. You know, loving God, loving people, serving both, that thing. So a couple weeks later, after I'd mowed his lawn for a second time, he and his wife were outside just thanking me, and I saw an open window, and I did it. I said, you know what? I'm a Christian. That means I follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells me, love your neighbor. Take care of your neighbor. And you are most definitely my neighbor. So I'm just doing what Jesus says I'm supposed to do. And I was just telling them that that's one way that God impacts my life. See how that works? Telling people about the way that God impacts your life is an important part of helping them to believe. This isn't all just a bunch of clinical debates and numbers and evidences. God exists. So share that. Amen? Share that. And what that means in your life. You see, the goal of all of this isn't to win an argument. Frankly, there are smarter people out there than me and you, and they'll win an argument. The goal of this is to win a person to life in Jesus Christ. We believe in the God. We believe in the uncaused creator who made all that is from nothing. We believe in that God. That same God impacts our lives every day. And he loves you. And he gave his son Jesus so that you and I could have life with him forever. That's what we believe. And we believe that if you'll honestly examine the evidence and you'll follow where that leads, you'll believe that God exists. And we believe that if you will look at that God and learn about him and become acquainted with him, that you'll want to give your life to him. And we hope you're on your way there today. Or that maybe you have arrived and we'll get to hear about that decision soon here. I, I hope that's where you're at this morning. If you're online this morning and thinking, you know what, this is starting to make sense to me. I need Brian Roder to convince me the rest of the way. Just sign in and say, hey, Brian, Sherm says, I got a couple questions and you're going to finish them. <laughs> or maybe it's you just want to sit down with somebody and talk about your relationship with the Lord. How do I begin this? I want to learn more about him or I have and I, I want to begin a real relationship with him. Then get in touch with us. If you're here this morning and this is something in your life that you need to begin, then here in just a moment we're going to have an opportunity for you to step forward and to say, I'm ready. I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ this day. We want you to know that there is a reason for the hope that we have in us. It isn't just some blank statement when we say that hope lives here. We have this hope because God has given us good reason to have it. I'm going to ask you please to stand with me and we're going to have a word of prayer together. We're going to 
have a, a song that we sing together, and I just want to ask you to make this the time that you make decisions about what you're going to do. If you're already a follower of Christ and you just need to sharpen up on some of these reasons that you can share with somebody and encourage them to know and believe in God, this is a great time to say, Lord, I'm ready. I want to I'm going to read a book, or I'm going to do a study, or I'm going to do something different so that I'm better prepared to give an answer. Maybe it means this morning, I've, I've got it. I got it, and, and I'm ready to do something about it. I'm ready to become a follower of Jesus. This is the time. I'm going to be right down here at the front. You step forward as we sing this song together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, giving us good reason to to understand you, to believe that you exist and that you reward those who seek you, just as your word says. Thank you for the heavens that declare your glory. Thank you for everything about creation uh, that demonstrates your power, your creativity, your uh, vastness. Every day, Lord, we're surrounded by it reminders of who you are. Father, there are some who yet are struggling to know, uh, to accept that you truly are there. And I pray today that just some of these things that we have touched on uh, will serve as uh, a seed of, of truth and of uh, a pursuit that can begin. Lord, help us who have known you for years to just make it more solid in our own lives, to uh, wrestle down doubts, to arrive with love and truth so that others will know about you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.